From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Uh, sorry, Dr. Troy Major's not with us. Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science is. And we're welcoming our guest, Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. He's here to talk about the upcoming Christmas bird count and other happenings with the Jackson Audubon Society. Being an avid bird watcher, he'll also talk about what it takes to get started as an amateur bird watcher and share some tips for those who are a little more experienced. Join our conversation this morning. Give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one 672 7464 Or you can email the show, animals, at mpbonline.org. You're listening to Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major's out this week. He should be back on the show next week. We do have a guest in studio with us today. It's Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. He's going to tell us about the upcoming Christmas bird count and other things going on with the Jackson Audubon Society. But being an avid bird watcher, he's also here to talk about what it takes to get started as a bird watcher and share some tips for those who are a little bit more experienced. You can join our conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or email the show animals at mpbonline.org. So good morning. Hope that you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, now, Libby, I know that uh, Park After Dark is tomorrow, right? That's uh, the right. big event. It's a holiday, uh, I mean, Halloween-related uh, event with uh, both yes. the Museum of Natural Science and the Mississippi Children's Museum. I think it goes from 6 to 8.30. Yeah, and a little, I guess, updating on that. If you go online and buy your ticket... You get an early arrival, so you get to get in 30 minutes early, and you save a dollar on each ticket. The Uh tickets are regularly $9, so that's an impetus to go ahead and make a decision that you're going, even if you do it Friday afternoon. Get your ticket online, and, uh, you know, it just makes everything much smoother. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on, creepy crawly crafts, costume contests, dinosaurs, and then lots of live animals, too. And yeah, I mean, the, the two museums combined, so that, that's going to be yeah. a fun evening, a good, uh, a good family thing to do for uh, Halloween this weekend. Uh, what are some other things, uh, events going on? Oh, okay. It's then Saturday in Rolling Fork is the Great Delta Bear Affair, okay. and there's a lot of education, history, food, and music, even fireworks. So Rolling Fork, if you've not been there, it's a treat to go to Rolling Fork anyway. It's a, a great little town, not too far, up 61 from Vicksburg. Okay. And both of these events have uh, websites, so you can read all about them. All right. Very good. Um, so our guest is Dr. Christopher King. Dr. King, what about uh, things maybe that the uh, coming up at the Jackson Audubon Society? Well, we've got several uh, things on the books. Um, we do a first Saturday bird walk at LaFleur's Bluff State Park, and that's coming up on November the 4th. That starts at 8 a.m., um, it you typically last two or three hours, and um, 
don't let the chilly temperatures dissuade you. Uh, the the birds are there, and uh, quite a quite a wide variety there in the park as well. Um, we have a field trip coming up on November 11th at uh, the Mahana Wildlife Management Area. Um, you are required to have a uh, usage permit for that, so you can pick that up at Walmart. Uh, but a lot of um, waterfowl variety out there. Um, I believe our leaders are going to be Mary and Bill Stripling. Um, you can check on our website at uh, jacksonaudubonsociety.org uh, for directions to the to the property. Okay. Um, give us a little bit of idea of your background. How did you get uh, interested in, in birds and, and the work of the Audubon Society? Well, birding as a child. Um, my grandfather was an avid bird hunter. So I kind of came by birding the James uh, Audubon way where – a long time ago, they thought to appreciate the bird, you must have the bird in hand. So started out uh, pheasant hunting and duck hunting, and after a while, why don't we just look at them while they're alive? We don't have to, to shoot these things in order to see them. So got started at a young age that way and became uh, connected with the Audubon Society uh through our veterinary practice in Winter Park, uh, Florida, we worked with the Audubon Birds of Prey Center there, and they would bring us injured uh, raptors, and we would uh, correct whatever their problems were and uh, hopefully release them into the wild, if not turn them into education birds. So um, what is the mission of the Audubon Society? Well, can, from a contemporary standpoint, is to educate people as far as the need for conservation. Um, that is may, our main thrust, to let people know that uh, not only do we need to conserve our, our areas and, and properties here in North America, but most birds only spend half of their life here in North America. We need to work with uh, Central and South America as well to conserve properties down there for the birds. Um, just an observation here. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a, a bird watcher, but have gone out. I think it was a, a, maybe in the um, the nature walk in the museum. But it, to me, it's very difficult because birds are good at camouflage to, to spot them. Yes. Do you think that bird watchers develop a keener eye that maybe they pick up on things outside of the bird watching world that maybe other people kind of miss? I, I think anything can be learned. And, and I think... Um, the majority of those bird watchers that you go out with and they seem superhuman, um, it is a learned skill. Um, and, and you can divide the camp into two, uh, visual birders that, that are, their vision is very acute and they can sense movement. Um, I am not in that camp. I'm an audible birder. Um, most of the, most of the time I barely bring my binoculars up to my eyes because I'm just listening to the, to the different sounds. Uh, we're going to be visiting with Dr. King throughout the hour, so if you are interested in bird watching or birds in general and have some questions, I'm sure he'll be able to give you some assistance. Um, so the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 
7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. And we also like to hear your wildlife stories. If you've been out and about enjoying uh, Mississippi, uh, what have you seen or what have you encountered? So give us a call and uh, join our conversation this morning. So uh, you mentioned that the, the next bird watching thing in the Jackson Audubon Society coming up the first Saturday. So if someone goes out there, what, uh, what types of birds are we liable to find uh, here in Mississippi this time of year? It it varies depending upon habitat um, widely. Now at Lafleur's Bluff, um, we can the the usual suspects are going to be uh, great blue herons, um, great egrets, things of that nature. Um, it is a treat when you get to see a wood duck. Uh, if if no one has ever seen one, please come out. They're in the park, and they are one of the most exquisite birds uh, visually. Uh, I think across the gamut um there are a number of uh songbirds that are still in the park we have uh some winter arrivals yellow rump warblers um uh eastern phoebes as well uh, a very angry sounding little bird <coughs> um and one of the the greatest singers uh that uh we get here in the state of mississippi is a migratory species that comes in in the winter time it's called a winter wren they're extremely small, tiny little birds, maybe three or four inches, but they have a voice of uh, Luciano Pavarotti. They just—they <laughs> can sing like nobody's business. Do you know who's leading the trip Saturday? Um, Saturday, I think that is me. Yes. <laughs> okay. And now, I guess it, it's not this Saturday. It's the uh, following right, Saturday. Right, right. Yeah, the first uh, Saturday so, in November. Yeah. Right, November the 4th. Mm-hmm. Yes, November 4th. Uh, what about some birds that uh, are in Mississippi year-round? Well, you get um, your usual yard birds or, or feeder birds, uh, Carolina wrens, um, Carolina chickadees, tufted titmice, cardinals. Um, some of the good singers are going to be the mockingbirds and brown thrashers. You also get, in the wintertime, you get uh, what I like to call like little micro-migrations where chipping sparrows have been out into the uh, the agricultural areas breeding. Well, in the wintertime, they tend to move in towards uh, more populated areas to take advantage of feeders and, and different uh, a shift in, in food availability. We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. Uh, if you're interested in bird watching and maybe need some tips or want to know about the birds in our area this time of year, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We've got some open phone lines. We'd love to hear from you this morning. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Good. Your voice is doing great. Good. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and a state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major is out this week, should be back on the program with us next 
week. Uh, we're visiting today with Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. So we're talking about bird watching and birds in general, what sort of birds uh, we will see in Mississippi this time of year. So if you'd like to join the conversation, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can also email the show animals at mpbonline.org. We've got uh, Anthony on the line from Gainesville, Mississippi. Good morning, Anthony. Uh, that's Gainesville, Alabama. All right. Very good. Sorry to, uh, to adopt you over in our home state, but good to hear from you. What do you have for us? I just want to know whatever happened to the ivory bill woodpecker. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've seen it some years back. I think it was 10 years back. Yeah, that is the birding Bigfoot. Um, there's there's a, a a phrase in in biology called sustainable numbers, and unfortunately, um, with the minimal amount of sightings uh, of the bird between now and when it was declared extinct, there's really not enough of the population to sustain, uh, that species. And more oftentimes than not, what we see, um, there's always, uh, someone always hears the famous double knock. Well, that could be really anything. Um, most of the photographic or or video evidence that I have seen to support that, uh, the, the ivory billed woodpecker, most of the time, it's inconclusive at best, and um, uh, I would say probably at least half of the time, it's very obvious that it's a pelleted woodpecker instead of an ivory bill. Um, I get questions and emails and phone calls continually uh, through Jackson Audubon Society regarding this. Mm-hmm. And the very first question that I ask uh, the, the person on the other end is, are you familiar with a pelleted woodpecker? And if they say, a what? <laughs> then you know you might want to look at a pileated woodpecker and a field guide uh, and differentiate between the two. It would be wonderful if we could find the bird, but at, at this stage, I just I don't think it's possible. All right, Anthony, thanks for your call. You know, I think I saw uh, some ivory bill uh, the woodpeckers hanging out with some black panthers the other day. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's where they are. With they're, Elvis. All, they're all hiding. Elvis is that's taking a, that's care exactly. Of them. They're with Elvis. Exactly. We ring, have figured it out. Ring the doorbell and Bigfoot answers. <laughs> We've got another call to get to, so we'll welcome uh, Mike, who's called in from Memphis today. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, I was wondering if he could touch on in helping people identify birds. The uh, Merlin site or eBird from uh, Cornell University. The Merlin app is uh, is an extremely good app uh, for beginning birders um, because it it narrows things down by your region and then by uh, size and then by color uh, plumage color. When we start getting a little more serious about uh about birding and bird watching you go into uh the cornell site the ebird site there they become a little more strict about identifications and the the means with uh which you've observed a bird comes into play size is something that we we have a very difficult time with unless we have a known comparison now, if I see a bird land next to a robin, I know a robin is going to be around eight to nine inches, so I, I can base the size of the bird off of something else. 
But if I have a lone bird on a wire, I really don't know how big that bird is. Do you, I mean, do you think the site would be um, helpful for people trying to learn bird identification? Um, I think eBird, uh, the both the application and eBird will be helpful. eBird from the standpoint that you can uh, go online, say you're getting ready to go to Mahana, and you can look up uh, turned-in lists at Mahana, and they the people at Cornell have done a wonderful job of creating a bar graph. So you can look down this bar graph and, and see, okay, well, I'm going here in uh, late October. So chances are these are the birds I'm going to see. That can help you narrow things down. If you, um, let's say, for instance, um, you think you see a king eider duck, you can look at your bar chart and you can see, well, okay, that's never been seen here before. Um, field guides are also extremely helpful in that. And just with a, a quick turn of a page or as an application on your phone, you can see, okay, well, that duck doesn't occur here in Mississippi, so obviously I've seen something different. But but either one of those are extremely helpful for our, for beginning birders and experienced birders as well. I've assembled uh, birding trips uh, in other states off of eBird, and, and you're able to compile a, a list of expected species. All right, Mike, good to hear from you this morning. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, visiting today with Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. Uh, the Cornell site, I think, also does have a good uh, uh, database of bird calls, I think, doesn't it? They do. Um, they also have a um, – it's it's almost like a, a field guide webpage. Um it's it's extremely helpful uh, if you have a photograph or you've taken field notes when you get home. You can you can look on their uh, in their web catalog to see uh, kind of try to narrow things down. The sound base is, is excellent. Um, everybody has a smartphone today, and almost all smartphones have the ability to record sounds, and it it makes it really uh, kind of a neat adventure to go home and you're playing uh, the call that you heard in the woods and trying to run through this this database uh there i knew i do know that they're they're trying i i have the beta version um there is an app out there uh that will attempt to identify birds through their song mm-hmm. it's not quite there yet not quite there yet um an eastern towhee is one that occurs very uh uh, prevalent here in Mississippi, and it struggled uh, to identify it. But give them time, and and it, the the application will be there. One of the big problems is that usually you're not hearing just one song right. distinct from everything else. You're right. hearing a chorus, and you're having to pick out, like you say, I heard so and so. Well, somebody else says I heard so and so, and you're both right because exactly. Yeah, there are exactly. a lot of birds singing at once. And, and I think the more you bird, uh, the better you become at developing a squelch. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just don't hear Carolina wrens. I, I don't hear white-eyed vireos in the summertime because they're everywhere. And, yes. and white-eyed vireos are one of the noisiest critters out there. So you, I don't even hear them. Yeah. But it would be Shazam for bird calls there if they ever get that app figured out. So that that sounds really exciting. Uh, We've got uh, David on the line from Horn Lake. David, you're up next, so go ahead, please. Uh, Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'd like to know some uh, good plants that would uh, 
encourage birds and natural pollinators. I got a section of my backyard I'd like to uh, dedicate to that. Can you give me some good pointers? Yes. Uh, you want me to take that one? Absolutely. Okay. First off, it'll be a little different maybe between the two. We could start with birds first. And basically looking for things that have berries, uh, uh what I call beauty berry, American beauty berry. Some people call it, what is it, uh, French mulberry. That's a or French, I can't remember what they call beauty berry. Anyway, beauty berry. That's a sh- kind of a shrub. And uh, do you, are you looking for a sunny spot or a? Uh, well, it's, got a, it's quite shady. Okay. That would be good then. Amer- beauty berry grows as a kind of an understory tree, so that's a good one. Uh, mulberry tree, uh, you're going to get a lot of fruit eaters. That's a great tree to have. Uh, and they'll start bearing fairly young, so it'll start out like a, a bush for you. Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, let me think. Salvia, uh, Turk's cap, and uh, butterfly bush. Yeah, if you want all of just yeah. as far as bushes, and you're, when you're talking about your insects to your pollinators, you'll want all those kind of things. Uh, for um, a, a tulip tree is a good tree to have. Mm-hmm. Lots of birds are going to get up in those tulip trees. Um, and then thinking about nesting, you know, a live oak's going to host. Uh, Everybody in a in a great place to live. Uh, bigger birds will eat acorns too, mm-hmm. so you know any of the oaks will work good with them. You know, as far as setting up good habitat for for birds, you, the the best thing is if you don't have a, a homeowners association, <laughs> um, because uh, I live in in. Uh, Brookhaven in the in the uh, city proper, and there's a little kind of a gray zone in our neighborhood that butts up against my property and four other properties. Nobody knows who owns it, nobody tends it. It's overgrown, and I have an abundance of wildlife: birds, uh, possums, coons. So, the best thing you can do is allow some undergrowth and some cover for your birds and that along with um uh fruit bearing uh shrubbery um many of the um the high content nectar plants like uh the salvia and the, and the turks cap those are hummingbird attractants and butterfly attractants uh in a large way yeah. and um and now remember your water sources. You need a water source. If you've got a small pond, you don't want it too manicured all along the sides. You want right. bushes and vegetation around it so that there's some protection and cover. But um, you're not going to attract them with just food if you don't have some water sources. Right, too. and that that's one of the things that we try to uh, encourage uh, property owners is the wonderful manicured lawn is not uh, very conducive uh, to attracting birds, uh, unless it would be bluebirds. That would be the only uh, species that uh, that would really be attracted to a sparse area like that. Birds are they are a prey item, and um, they need cover to dive into uh, because there are other birds that that exist merely to hunt small songbirds. So the life of a of a songbird is a very nervous one. 
Yes, yes, that's, there's a reason that they're <laughs> fast and nervous little things. All right, so David, thanks for your call. Hope that gave you some suggestions to go on. Oh, and there's some great um, lists of plants online. You can um, even check, you know, by where you live and what kind of habitat you've got and how fast you want things to grow. I know we just planted milkweed uh, for the first time. Milkweed, and, everybody needs to be planting milkweed yeah, yeah. because monarchs are really in trouble and right. everything. everybody benefits if you get the milkweed out there. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a botanist at all, so I if you want me you want a plant to die, give it to me and I can I can arrange <laughs> that. So Well if your milkweed's making it, you're doing Yeah, good. the milkweed's yeah. doing fine. So but I, I probably would credit my wife for that more than me. <laughs> also always a reminder that if you're uh, interested in, in growing things in your yard, the Gestalt Gardener heard Fridays uh, and Saturdays on MPB Think Radio with our very own Felder Rushing, who is a font of information, and he would always be glad to help you figure out what to plant in your yard to attract either birds or, as you said, the pollinators. So, um, so Dr. King, what about cold weather? You know, I, I don't, I don't know that humans are overly excited. Some of us like cold weather more than others. But, but what about bird behavior? Does it does it drastically change as the weather gets colder? It it does. Um, what you uh, what you find is that they become active a little bit later in the day. Whereas in the uh, the spring and the summer, when uh, if you want a bird uh, a wooded area for songbirds, you need to you need to be up with the sun. Uh, you get that wonderful daybreak chorus. Well, in the winter time, you're able to sleep in a little bit. <laughs> um, they typically don't, especially when it's colder. They typically don't become active until yeah, around nine ten o'clock. Um, and and the types of birds that we we go for vary as well and that's um one of the wonderful things about birding the coast um when you're you head down to the coast and you you bird for shorebirds there they have no schedule so you can come and go at your leisure and uh they're they're always always going to be there all right yeah i mean i uh visit my brother in Pensacola all the time and one of the things i love to do on the beach is just to watch the, the shorebirds, because they always seem to be, you know, talk about flittering around. There's always something going on there, and it's always fun to watch uh, watch them. Uh, little dunlins are busy little birds coming in and out with the tide and sanderlings and such. Um, yeah, Pensacola, I lived in Pensacola for quite some time. Uh, you can see some wonderful winter species there, northern gannets uh, feeding close inshore. It's, it's a great place. Let's uh, take another quick break. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion. We're visiting today with Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. So if you have a bird-related question or an observation, let us hear from you by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464. You can always email the show, animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director from the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Dr. Christopher King of the Jackson Audubon Society. So birds is our main topic. If you'd like to join the conversation with a phone call, it's one 877 MPB ring. Our phone number one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's head back to the phone lines as we welcome Bill from Greenwood. Good morning, Bill. Go ahead. Uh, uh, good morning, y'all. Uh, I got two questions. Uh, first, of 
uh, with Cuba opening up, has anybody gone down there to search for the ivory-billed woodpecker? And also, what can I get? What kind of seeds can I get to attract Carolina wrens and mockingbirds? They won't come to my bird feeder. Well, let me address the first question here. Um, there have been several birding uh, expeditions to Cuba, none of which have uh, some with that specific intent. Uh, none of which have have found anything. Um, as far as what type of seeds, um, Carolina wrens are typically invertebrate feeders, uh, so they're not going. It's insects, yeah. Right, primarily. right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, they're primarily going to be a, a, a suet feeder. So if you can get a block of uh, suet, I recommend the hot pepper suet. Uh, strictly from the standpoint that the squirrels will leave it alone. Well, they'll they'll try it once, <laughs> uh, but. The squirrels will leave that alone, and um, the the wrens uh, and all species that will come to your feeder will enjoy uh, suet. A, a general seed to put out, I just put out sunflower seeds. Um, now, in the wintertime, I change things up a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll add some things uh, to, to my feeders. Uh, thistle for goldfinch and uh, pine siskins will be coming in uh, through through the migration. Um, I also like to offer a small white millet as well. Um, millet. Yeah, small white millet, not red millet. Red millet are little hard, almost rock-like seeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the white millet, um, when um, the chipping sparrows come in from the agricultural areas, they love white millet. Uh, goldfinch will eat it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, I sure do appreciate your call. All right. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Uh, uh, let's move on next. We've got uh, Steve, who's on the road this morning. Go ahead, Steve. You're on the air. Well, I'm kind of curious about uh, how parasitic nesters like the cowbird impact the populations of the other songbirds. Well, the cowbird is the bird everybody loves to hate. Um they are, they're brood parasites, and what they do is they will lay one egg in uh, another bird's nest, and the gestation period for that egg is much quicker than the nest uh, that they laid the egg in. Once the the cowbird hatches, they will then jettison all the other eggs. And what you see, one of their favorite birds uh, to prey upon is a northern parula, which is a very tiny warbler. So you'll see this tiny uh, yellow and blue bird feeding this massive black chick. And they, as far as a detriment, it's pretty balanced. It's pretty balanced. Um, we, we find that um, invasive species like house sparrows do more damage than, than cowbirds do just from raiding uh, bluebird boxes and such. But the the cowbirds have been around for a long time. The northern parallels have been around for a long time. And there there tends to be a little bit of a balance there. I'm not aware that there's uh, any uh, declination in numbers attributed directly to uh, cowbirds. So I, I don't think they're that much of, uh, of an issue. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Mm-hmm. Good call, Steve. Thanks for the call. And I guess that's, you know, nature has a way of, of balancing things out. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and everybody, you know, again, everybody loves to hate on the cowbirds, but they're just doing what they were created to do. 
Yeah, I don't like to see them on my feeder, but you know what? That song is incredible. It is insanely <laughs> complex. It, it, it is eerie and beautiful. I, I, I think Sibley describes it as a liquidy bubble, and that's, that that's, is it. Yeah. Yes. Now, I've, in the wintertime, when they flock together uh, at our house in Brookhaven, we have uh, two five-pound hoppers. And they can drain 10 pounds of feed in a day. Yeah, that's part of why people don't like to yeah, see them. They, they, they come be, to the feeder. Yeah, nobody else is going to get anything to eat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we'll stay on the phone lines. We've got Betty from Fairhope next. Good morning, Betty. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. Uh, the Yellowhammer, or the northern flicker, I found out, is our state bird. And I have never seen one, and I've lived down here for like 20 years now. Mm. So I was wondering if you could give me some tips on uh, finding them. We heard that they are at the Gulf uh, Shores or the Gulf State Park down there near Orange Beach. Well, you will find northern flickers almost anywhere. Um, You can find them in an urban environment, um, deep in the woods, different uh, types of habitat in the woods. the the best thing that I can tell you is you will almost always hear them before you will see them. Uh, and they give a very nasally uh, call that um, it's very distinct when you hear it. Uh, there's nothing else like it. And one of the other things about them that um, most people don't know is that they typically feed on the ground. That's uh, everybody starts looking up uh, for a northern flicker, and a lot of times what winds up happening is you um, they're they're making forays from the trees to the ground. What I would listen for is just that nasally call. Okay. Now they also have um, a a loud. Territorial call that they use. Uh huh. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> wow. And that can go on and on and on. Um, but when you hear that, what um, what you'll want to look for is any bird on the wing uh, that has a, a white rump. Okay. So you see that little white, white rump flash, or if you see a, a medium-sized bird heading from a tree to the ground, tree to the ground. Uh, keep your eyes peeled because that's probably what you've got. All right. And now, best time to find them any time of year? Year-round. Okay, year-round. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh All right. Thanks for the call, Betty. Uh, Stay on the phone lines. Our friend Kathleen from Osaka has called in today. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning. I have to tell a laugh on me again. Okay. I was uh, picking some little green stuff in the yard for my rabbit because I like to keep her habitat as natural as I can. And um, it was damp. It was cold. I wasn't ready to do this, but I heard something that I thought was meowing, uh, you know, like a little kitten. So here I am, traipsing through these bushes, blackberries and shrubs, and thinking I'm going to save a cat like I need another cat. And I look up, and there's a shrub not 10 feet from me, and there was a bird in the top of the shrub, and it was sounding like a cat. Was it gray? And I said, how in the world... And I think it was on the darker side. I couldn't get a good look at it. Should have put my glasses on. But uh, is that what they call a catbird? Or is that just a mockingbird picking up a kitten sound somewhere? 
Could be both. Um, typically, uh, I would I would describe that to a gray cat bird. Um, they do a wonderful. It almost sounds like a kitten. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And my insanely brilliant red healer has not figured out that he's being duped. <laughs> uh, so every time he's out, the cat birds start their little chorus of meows, and he spends all of his time cruising around trying to find the kitty. Um, there's also a uh, winter migrant that comes in, um, a yellow-bellied sapsucker that has a little bit of a, a cat or kitten-like mew to it as well. Um, that fooled me so much, and I was so aggravated. I had wet boots, wet pants, and legs. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm saving a kitten being a heroic young lady going out there to take care of that kitten, and I'm going, a doggone bird can feed himself. <laughs> you would not be the first person that has spent a large sum of time trying to find a cat. Well, they will keep you laughing, won't they? Yes, ma'am, they will. Y'all, y'all have a good day. All right, thanks for the call. Thanks, uh, Kathleen. <laughs> next, we've got uh, Robert and Jackson on the line. Go ahead, Robert. Yes, please. Uh, I'm a robin lover. Um, I have a wonderful black yard with uh, magnolias in it. I have a very old bird feeder, which can only get two robins on, you know, at, at the same time. So it's always a male and a female. Mm-hmm. Is that enough, or can you attract other robins? Well, again, robins are, are typically insect eaters um, or, or invertebrate uh, feeders. What I would recommend to you would be to set out um, mealworms. Robins love mealworms. You can actually order them online uh, and have them shipped to your home. Uh, you can put. Them they in, have them at Wild Birds Unlimited. They, they do. They have them you, at Wild yeah, Birds yeah, Unlimited. Yeah. Um, well, could my problem be with the feed? Um, I, I use them um, in the feeder with uh, safflower seed to keep mm-hmm. away the squirrels. Right, right. And um, is there any better feed for a feeder that the squirrels won't climb in the top of the feeder? Well, you, you, safflower is probably the best seed uh, to use in your feeder. Um, okay. Short of that, um, again, uh, Wild Birds Unlimited has a wide array of anti-squirrel devices and, okay, um, I will. I'll, I'll go see them, and I appreciate your your information. All righty, sir. All right, thank you. Thanks for the call, Robert. Um, let's take one final break this hour. <laughs> when we get back, we've got some calls on the line, and also we will continue our discussion with our guest today, Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. You're listening to Creature Comforts. If you'd like to join in this morning, the phone number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Back with more after this. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. 
Our guest in studio today is Dr. Christopher King from the Jackson Audubon Society. We've been talking birds this morning. Still have a chance if you'd like to call in and join the conversation. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring The phone number is one 672 7464 Next on the line is Susan in Madison. Good morning, Susan. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Doing well, good. Wonderful. Hey, Libby, this is your camping buddy. Oh, <laughs> hey. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Listen, I need to know when to um, expect the white-throated sparrows and juncos. They're my faves, and I love the little white-throated sparrows down. So I've been missing it. When, when will they get here? Where, where are you located, roughly? In Madison. Madison. They should right be here that. anytime. Uh, we heard them at the Fanny Cook this week all yeah. over the place. Yeah. yeah. Now, typically, the Juncos will arrive a little bit later. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, I've got my feet out for them, and, and uh, I, just, I just love them. It's just such a wonderful, sweet little sound to hear yeah. in the wintertime. One of my favorite little birds, and that, that lets you know, okay, the hot weather's over. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. When they when they disappear, it's springtime. So. Yeah, it it saddens right. me. Well, <laughs> All right. Thanks for the call. Right. Uh, before we head back to the phone lines, uh, Doctor Kim, I want to give you a chance to mention uh, one of the annual events that I think is really cool: uh, the Christmas Bird Count. Tell us about that and, and some details. Well, the Christmas Bird Count started uh, around the the turn of eighteenth uh, and nineteenth century, and um, what um, what people used to do on Christmas Day, they would go out for a hunt. And the entire object of the hunt was to shoot as many birds as possible. And somebody said, hey, why don't we just count them? So it began that way, and that has blossomed into a citizen science program uh, that ornithologists from around the world use this data. Um, the Jackson Audubon Society will be hosting theirs on December the 30th. Uh, it's going to take place around the reservoir. And if you would like to take part in this, you, the degree of which uh, your proficiency does not matter. If you're a beginning birder, we will uh, put you in a group with some experienced birders. If you're an experienced birder, then you may be the one leading that group. Um, but if you would like to take part, you can uh, phone Mary Stripling at 601-832-6788, and she can get you uh, squared away with that. Um, it typically lasts uh, from daylight to dark, and different areas, uh, what we do is uh, we create a, a circle mm -hmm. and then divide the circle into sectors. And at the end of the day, then we meet and have a little tally-up supper. Uh, lots of uh, good fellowship and hanging out and comparing notes and seeing what the highlights were for the day. Uh, it's a great time. It's really a fun time. And we've recently, uh, we uh, Jackson Audubon Society runs a birding summer camp. And uh, we've had some of our, our uh, summer camp participants take place, uh, take part in the um, the Christmas bird count as well. And again, this is not just going on in the Jackson Audubon Society, but across the country and around the world, I think. Correct. It? Correct. Yeah. And and so it's just tallying up uh, how many birds of each kind and what kind of birds folks are seeing. Exactly. And, and where we're seeing them and where we're not seeing them. Um, sometimes uh, the omission of species are just as important as the ones that we actually see. Some The numbers can be astounding. 
Um, I know um, this last year, I think I had a stream of red winged blackbirds about a quarter mile wide that took about 20 minutes to pass overhead. Hmm. And estimating the count somewhere around 70 to 100,000 birds. Wow. Uh, it was it was crazy. Um, you, up into North um, Mississippi, you can see uh, a huge biomass of snow geese numbering up into the millions. Hmm. Uh, a cacophony when they lift off so loud that you can't uh, speak to someone next to you. <laughs> uh, makes me think of the old uh, Alfred Hitchcock movie. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to the phone lines we go. We'll start again in Rankin County. Jerry's on the line. Good morning, Jerry. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I, there is a book out there, and the title is Bringing Nature Home by entomologist Doug Tanami that is a wealth of information for homeowners and gardeners, for plants to and trees, for birds and pollinators. All right. Wonderful. Bringing and, Nature Home. Okay. Yes. And, uh, and I, I've heard this guy speak, and he, he's, uh, he, he's ace. But the other thing, I'd like you guys to... Uh, speak about the Mississippi kite that's been sighted up in like Lena and Lee County, and I'll I'll get off the phone and listen to your response. Thanks. All right, Jerry. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, the Mississippi kites are are prevalent throughout the state. We actually had a uh, breeding pair at Lafleur's Bluff. Yeah, uh, which is very exciting. Um, they seem to be having a pretty good year. Um, several people that I know have uh, found nests on their properties. Um, I had a gentleman come all the way from California to see a Mississippi kite, and uh, although we we had to take him out to Tensaw to see it, but we saw about twenty of them kettled up. Uh, so they're definitely out there, uh, and a wonderful bird. And why they're not Mississippi State bird, I don't know. Hmm. Well, it was an election back in the nineteen thirties <laughs> with school kids. Huh. But what I I don't know is if they gave them a narrow choice and you voted on one because yeah. mockingbird is ended up. You know, for several states, so that, it's that, kind of a shame. But it was the intention was to include school kids, which was maybe a good idea. But maybe I'm guessing that they probably gave them a multiple choice, and yeah. they didn't put Mississippi kite on there. That, that is a discussion that <laughs> yeah. murders have over a glass of wine at the end of the day continually. <laughs> well, it's our it's our bird journal name. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. We've got Fred on Ocean from Ocean Springs on the line. Good morning, Fred. I was exploring the back roads of Bossier Parish, um, not too far back uh, in September. I ran across a uh, roadrunner just tearing up the old broken pavement just in front of me, about 100 yards down the road. closer I got, the more he seemed annoyed at the car coming up close. I was puttering along maybe 15 miles an hour, and he practically jumped on my hood before disappearing in the <laughs> in the weeds off of the side of the uh, road. Bossier Parish is way up in the northwest corner of Louisiana, near north of Shreveport. Yeah, getting close to Texas. The operative word there being west. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, How far east are are roadrunners seen? I was surprised to see one in Louisiana. About that far. (laughs) Yeah, you were about where they are. Yeah. And they're getting more uncommon, I believe. They are, um, mainly because of... uh, uh, habitat fragment uh, fragmentation and a decline in in reptiles uh, that is their main diet and um, that's probably what your bird was looking for 
And one of the, the coolest things is to actually see them, the way they dispatch reptiles is actually by slamming in on a hard object. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's they, why I think they're coming around the road. Yes, they, exactly, yes. exactly. Catch a horned toad. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, that was a very common thing to see. My grandparents were both in Texas, and roadrunners beating up a horned toad on the road. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just roadrunners. We're seeing um, general declines uh, in bird populations across the board. There are a few that are thriving and doing well. Um, but for the most part, uh, almost every songbird is in decline. So another reason why the Christmas bird count is so important, and we're well, also important is reducing feral cat population too. Ooh. Correct in this problem. Thank you. Extremely important and an extremely volatile subject. Um, if you have a cat and it is outdoors, it will predate. Um, it doesn't matter if it's declawed. It doesn't matter if it's well fed. It is in their nature. It is what they do. Um, and you can't ask a cat not to be a cat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and wild populations are, are most definitely uh, a detriment to, to bird population. All right, Fred, thanks for your call. Interesting story there to share with us. So we got about a minute left, uh, Dr. King. Again, you had mentioned uh, the beginning bird uh, watching thing coming up uh, the first Saturday in November at uh, – uh, here in Jackson, uh, mm-hmm. what would be if someone is first time they've ever gone out, um, dress comfortably? I guess. What are some other quick tips? Um, mostly just good uh, good footwear because mm-hmm. uh, we're going to be uh, doing some walking. Um, if you don't have binoculars, there's a phone number at, on our website, uh, jacksonaudubonsociety.org. Uh, you can call and let us know, and uh, I can bring some loaner binoculars in. Um, but honestly. Uh, just show up. That's that's the main thing. And we even if uh, we we don't have loaners, we we can trade off binoculars, let you see things. Yeah, binoculars are not the they're not the the biggest deal. Just your ears and your eyes. Absolutely, yeah. uh, especially at Lafleur's Bluff because some of the species that we have there, you know, some of them are three foot tall. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating 20 years of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. And from contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener this morning was Liz Gill. So for Libby Hartfield and our guest, Dr. Chris King, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 with another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.